Welcome to the Weekly Tar Heel. I did not come up with an intro, uh, no self-deprecation, nothing snarky, nothing even witty, which, I mean, I'm, I've never really got anything witty going on. But we have way too much news to get to, so we had to, you know, go ahead and cut out some of the fun here. Um, I am joined by our editor-in-chief, Tanya Bondurant, our co-editor, Brandon Anderson, and our buddy, Jake Lawrence, because... Speaking of Lawrence's, Lawrence Fedora was fired from the University of North Carolina on Sunday morning. It is now Monday evening, and it's not 1998, but Mac Brown's the coach of UNC football. Tanya, um, just opening remarks, because I know initially we wanted to dance on Fedora's grave, but then the day just got a whole lot weirder. Yeah, it definitely got weird. I mean, I think that... Getting rid of Fedora was absolutely the right call. Like, I don't think anybody is going to debate that. I think because of how everything has transpired since that moment leaves a lot for debate about it, it seems very much like they had their guy right off and did not uh, do much digging. And whether that's the right call or not, I guess we will all find out. But as far as Fedora goes, like, that was not a moment too soon. Yeah, and we have discussed this ad nauseum both offline and online, you know, just with the pure tone deafness and defiance to go along with just terrible results. Um, Brandon, what was your favorite or what, what was the most offensive uh, part of the Larry Fedora era for you? <laughs> um most offensive part I mean see that's a tough question because that <laughs> means I'd have to have something to defend yeah like I, like I said um, in the intro folks um, I did not really we, we didn't come up with a plan we're just going to go open here so everything I do is putting them on the spot so go easy on them <laughs> um I mean his recruiting was okay. Like, I mean, it, it wasn't great, but like, you know, he definitely managed to bring some talent into UNC that was able to do some good things. I would say that's the most defensible, defensible part, but I guess one could argue that's also one of the most problematic areas because I saw a stat earlier today, I think it was. That was like something like Mac Brown's last game had like what sixty some in state players and Larry Fedora's was like thirty something. I could be making that up. I'm pretty sure I saw something like that though. But um which, you know, like that I feel like on some level that matters. I feel like on other levels it's like, you know, talent is talent. But then, you know, if you have talent, no matter where it's from, you have to execute or execute. So I don't know. guess that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. Did he ask you what was the most offensive, like the thing that offended you, Max? Yeah, I, I asked what the most offensive was, but he, he went with the least offensive, which I, I respect it. Um, oh. Yeah. Hey, but quick answer. Oh. Quick answer. What's your uh, what, what was the most offensive part? The most offensive part, I mean, 
every time that he ran for it on third down. I mean, <laughs> go go and shotgun on uh, on fourth and one from the one yard line. Yep, shotguns for. Can Beersburg. I just say go ahead. that maybe the most offensive thing happened in like literally his last moments when asked about the fight after the game on Saturday, he was like, "What fight? I didn't see a fight. There was no fight." And after we all clearly saw there was a fight. Well, there, sir, yeah, and shut up. Punches were thrown. And and the best part was the initial response of, well, both teams were celebrating. And somebody asks him, what was your team celebrating? They weren't celebrating. They weren't fighting. <laughs> Just like, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> and Jake, I'll, uh, I'll ask you, um, you, you posted in our Slack channel, the Tar Heel Illustrated uh, or parts of the Tar Heel Illustrated article by Andrew Jones, basically, you know, stating what was kind of, the biggest issue for me, which recruiting had gone the tank and to Brandon's point where he only had like 30 in-state guys there uh, this past weekend. You can kind of see why uh, UNC has the number 49 rated recruit in North Carolina for the 2019 class. And that's it in the top 50. Um, apparently just the relations between UNC and high school coaches had gotten that severed. Um, What's your takeaway there? Because I don't see how you can be that tone deaf and get to that point. I think tone deaf is the best word to use. Um, and I, I think there are two two issues that led to this downfall so quickly. And one of them was, and we've talked about ad nauseum, not giving an, not giving an actual OC or not getting an actual offensive coordinator into that position and going with the, you know, the the multi-coach play calling efforts that they had. Um, there's no doubt there was a direct correlation to the downfall from there. But his other problem was he just never understood the big picture, whether it was in-game or out of the game, um, on the field or off the field. He didn't see everything for him seemed to be in a vacuum. Um, everything was a single decision that did not impact the next decision and the next decision. Um, and I think that that's probably, or I have to think that's what happened with recruiting as well, where, you know, anyone who's in anyone who's in coaching understands, you know, relationships matter. But I I don't think they quite understood how important in-state relationships were, especially in North Carolina. Um, and I find that really hard to believe, considering his background. He came from Texas and uh, and, and coached Oklahoma State and a very, very talent rich area of the country where everyone knows that, you know, you have to be in you have to have good relationship with the coaches around there because in a state like Texas, where you have as many power five teams as you do, they're all fighting for the same deal. They're all fighting for the same recruits. I don't know if he felt that there just wasn't enough talent and it wasn't worth it in North Carolina. Um, or I don't know if there's something about him that just rubbed coaches the wrong way. But I've watched Dave Dorn in press conferences. I've watched Dave Clawson in press conferences. Uh, Cutcliffe, I understand. But the majority of other coaches in the state, I don't understand what the huge draw was is there. They, they, don't, they don't appeal to me as being very magnetic. Um, or very charismatic, uh, which makes me really, really concerned about what Fedora was doing behind the scenes to to piss so many other coaches off. Um, and I, I, I don't have the answer for that, but it's clear that he was he was completely out of touch. All right, so we've talked about out of touchness and, you know, really what I just call aloofness, especially when you talk about the bigger picture. Um, you look into the CTE stuff, those comments, uh, the fans should be fans' comments after the Duke game, which – 
was the most defensive of the season until the one Tanya brought up after the state game where there was no fight. I didn't even see that fight, guys. Um, the funny thing is, Fedora considered Mac Brown, you know, an ally and really even kind of a mentor back seven years ago when he was hired. Here we are six or, well, I guess six years later. Um, there's also reports that Brown or that Fedora reached out to Brown to ask him how to solve his in-state recruiting woes to which Fedora did not really act on any, um, or did not make an effort to do, you know, whatever Brown advised him to do, which leads us to within 12 hours, Matt Brown's the head coach of UNC. And I, all of my conspiracy theory alarms are just going off in my head. I think this was a coup and I'm interested to <laughs> hear anybody's thoughts on that. Jake, I know you mentioned it about the same time I did this morning. Um, yeah, I, I'm hesitant to say it was a coup. Um, I don't think Matt Brown had any intentions at the beginning of the season, uh, but I think as the season began to spiral out of control, um, I think it happened about a year earlier than anyone expected. I thought everyone thought Fedora would at least get through this year. No one expected things to get this bad. And so that pushed the entire timeline up at least a year. Um, and I had said it before, I don't know if I said it on here or if I said it on, uh, when I was, uh, doing a radio spot with, uh, WCHL in Chapel Hill, but if you're going to make a change, you need to have a clear plan. Carolina was, the program is in such bad shape right now behind the scenes. You can't just fire a guy and then hope someone appears. If you're going to make that call, you have to be decisive and you have to have something that fits and you have to have a vision for it. And we can argue all day whether or not this is the correct vision or not. Um, but it is clear that as the season got out of control, uh, and Mac Brown was close by and he had the ceremony at the Rams club, uh, I think back in September as a celebration for his hall of fame induction that's coming up. Um, I think it became a natural fit as he was around Chapel Hill more and people realized that they have the guy they think can at least stem or at least stop the bleeding for right now. Um, so I don't think it was designed as a coup. Uh, but I I don't think Mac Brown shied away from keeping his name in the uh, keeping his name in the hat as it became clear that a change had to be made. And I'll stick with you because he's going to be 68 years old when he uh, coaches against South Carolina in August uh, this coming year. What does what are you looking to check off to make sure that this is going to work? Because obviously you know he left Texas in. For Texas, you know, by Texas standards, a state of disarray. If when your 11-win program becomes an 8-win program, that's similar to your 8-win program becoming a 3-win program, perhaps. So, um, Jake, while I'm while while I've got you, what's your uh, first what's your first key to the Mac Brown era, as long or short as it may be, being a success here? The only way this happens is is three very quick things. Um, fans have to keep a realistic expectation that. He's not going to get back to this, the success of the 1990s. If he does, great, but we cannot expect that. Um, if you can get, if he can get us to a bowl for for three or four years in a row and get us to, you know, increase win totals to six, seven, eight, nine wins, get us in that range uh, over the course of a couple of years, um, I think that that satisfies what the program needs right now, and it keeps them from having to go through a full rebuild. the uh, The way he does that though is is bringing in top notch staff. He has to find top-notch position coaches and coordinators to carry out that vision because the program is is so 
it is the foundation is cracked so badly. He's going to be spending a lot of time glad handing, working with boosters, preparing those high school relationships for recruiting. Uh, that this, the, the scary thing here is what got him in trouble at Texas was he kind of got away from the field. He kind of the Longhorn Network came in. He had an AD who was honestly an idiot and was fired shortly after Mac was fired. He had a lot of things away from the football field that took away. He has to find quality people who can maintain the football side of things. Um, and he's going to have his hand on everything. Don't don't get me wrong, but he's going to be spread thin a little bit. He's going to have different priorities. Um, and so a top-notch staff is a must because that's going to keep the continuity going whenever it's, it's, it's his time to go. And, um, and my go day job's in housing, so that uh, foundation cracked um, comment really kind of resonated with me because – you know, I think that's kind of been the key factor that we've been discussing today is that, you know, you, you need to rebuild this program from the ground up. You know, there's there's enough talent on hand to be a seven or eight win team. Other coaches have been saying that all along, but there's something inherently wrong just with the way it was going with Fedora burning so many bridges in the state of North Carolina. Um, We'll get back to the staff thing because, you know, obviously that is all very much in flux and rumors are flying right now. But, Brandon, you know, what what are your thoughts, just kind of initial gut reaction on having a guy? He's won a national championship. Um, he's definitely past his prime, but could be a stabilizing force. So I think when I first heard the news, it was kind of – it was a lot of like, huh. Like, that was literally my thought was just, huh. And I guess, you know, for anybody that doesn't really, you know, know me that well, um, I mean, like, I, when Mac Brown was a coach at UNC, um, it was during a time where, you know, I didn't really have a strong focus on football. I mean, obviously I was a child, but <laughs> I mean, aside from that, I mean, you know, I grew up in a basketball family. So like, that was just something that we didn't, you know, really focus on too much. But I, so I think kind of, I'm seeing everything right now through kind of an outsider's perspective. That's kind of has like some toes in the water, just in terms of, you know, being more focused on UNC football now, but as far as Mac Brown's concerned, it's kind of this situation where I'm like, well, he did this and that when he was at UNC. And he also did this and that while he was at Texas. Everything sounds like, you know, he has the tools to make things good. But then there's the other part of me that I'm not going to be that person that says, like, you know, the game's passed him by or anything like that. Because, I, I, to be honest, I don't even know what that means, like. Just I don't I don't know that that's a thing as much as it is like you know just trying to adapt which I, well maybe that's what it is just adapting to current situations but so um, I think my biggest concern is whether or not UNC's attempt to play the short game is going to help or hinder their long game and. Yeah. You know, this can turn out to be a situation where, like, maybe Mac Brown finds somebody within whatever staff he brings in that can carry the torch, so to speak, once he does what he does, you know, within his time in UNC. And there's a form of continuity built there with recruiting, with how things are ran, 
so on and so forth, and everything's good. Or maybe Mac Brown coaches for, you know, a couple of years, he leaves, and all of a sudden UNC football's left with another crater. So I think my biggest takeaway so far is just there is a lot of what ifs. Um, and I mean, that's going to be with whoever you pick, but I think what's unique about this one is, yeah, that will the short game hurt or hinder the long game, basically. For sure. And, you know, it's not Herm Edwards going to Arizona State where he didn't know what their mascot was and he didn't know some of the rules of college football very on a very basic level. So, you know, I, I guess it comes down to, and Tanny, I'll uh, ask you this one. Do you think he still has clout in the state of North Carolina? I mean, recruits who uh, he will be recruiting were not even embryos when uh, Mac Brown was at UNC. Um, they were about three or four years old when Texas won the national championship, and they were about 13 when he got fired. So do you think this is a – I mean – I can put this in real simple terms, but do you think he has the cachet to do whatever it is Bubba Cunningham's envisioning here? By himself, I don't think so. I just don't know that the kids that he will be recruiting care. Um, I think that where the Mac Brown part two experiment will be made or broken will be who he's able to bring in alongside him that can sort of inspire the kids that they're trying to, you know, woo to UNC. Um, I'm not saying that Mac Brown doesn't have any clout. I just think that, it may be a bit overstated in the year of our Lord soon to be 2019 um, to say that, like, if we get there, um, it may be, you know, a little optimistic to think that he's going to come in and everybody's going to be like, oh, my gosh, it's Mac Brown. Like, yes, take my son or whatever. Um, but. I think the sad thing is it's like, I don't think it can get worse. So at least there's that. I don't know that that's like a great place to be, but it's better than we were a week ago. So maybe it's okay. I don't know. Everything, everything just feels like it's in such shambles that it's like, I mean, this isn't like the greatest thing ever, but like maybe it's better than what we had. So I'm willing to give it a shot. Well, it's kind of no a sad, realistic picture, but... Well, if nothing yeah. else, it's relevance. I mean, we, we got, uh, got shout-outs on the SB Nation national... on the national uh, page today. So, you know, this is the first time anybody's talked about Carolina football in three years. So, we've got that going for us. Oh, for and sure. I've been watching the traffic and, like, the, the post that we've written um, about Fedora being fired and then Mac Brown, like, they've done better then, like, I want to say half of our football posts this year combined. Like, <laughs> all year. Um, so, hey, people are talking. People hey, have opinions. Mac Brown, you're good for our business. So, we, we've got at least <laughs> one go. pro from um, 
from this experience here, you know, even just eight hours in. But, you know, what we kind of, I mean, obviously the unknowns are the unknowns, but basically, you know, the way this works, and I think all three of you have definitely kind of made it this point, is that a lot of things have to go right, and that does start with who he brings in as a coaching staff because, you know, he's not really the X's and O's guy. He never really was. I mean, back in 88 when he was hired the first time, he was a program builder and he was a recruiter. Um, the famous quote that I've heard about 36 times a day is he could sell ice to an Eskimo, which um, I don't know if that's politically correct, um, but, you know, it's basically the look at my wife of the 1980s, I guess. But here we are, you know, really looking to, you know, you probably don't want to get into replacing an offensive scheme. So you look at somebody like Cliff Kingsbury, whose name has been bandied about as an OC, that would be a home run. Gene Chizik is a possible DC that um, I'm not completely sold on, but um, my boy Jake Bateman at or, or uh, Bateman at uh, Army. I, I've got Jake Lawrence, West Point man, and um, Bateman confused there. But there, there's a real chance that he does have the clout in coaching circles to build an incredible staff. So, Brandon, who's your fantasy hire that he could bring on and make this thing a little bit less questionable? <laughs> You have that question for me, huh? Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know to be honest with you because it's just, it's. Well, it's it's, it's like a coaching hire on the on the surface where it's not. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. So I, I'll I'll kick that one to Jake if you want me to get you with the next one here. Yeah, that that probably work out better. <laughs> All right, Jaber, um, what you got? Uh, before I answer that, I just want to say Tanya brings up a really good point about uh, about the traffic, and we we talked about this even back in September that this was a possibility after during the ECU game, um, and I know we we brought that up a little bit today too. Um, and I brought it up and everyone laughed at me and said, there's no way this is going to happen or it should happen. What tipped me off, and you mentioned the traffic, Tanya, is that when we wrote about Mac Brown's ceremony, that did a stupid amount of consistent traffic over like a month. Like every day it had a certain number of views that we had never seen for football before that, that long. And so that, that's what gave me the idea that this actually could happen. Um, so that your, your point about the traffic kind of, kind of brought it up and it made me think about that. Cause that's kind of funny that Mac Brown has that kind of effect on the fans. Um, if you, if you're looking for, for coaching hires, you know, Gene Chizik is, is the obvious name. Um, he's been to Carolina. He's familiar with Carolina. He's familiar with Mac Brown, uh, him as a defensive coordinator, if he is all in, um, which I'm not sure he really was last time because of his family having a split time between Auburn and Chapel Hill. I think that's a great, a great hire. NJ Bateman. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoy army. Uh, my dad went to West point, so I've, I've enjoyed seeing him have, have success for a couple of years, but he's young. He's a Broyles finalist. Um, if you're looking for if you're looking for a succession plan, eventually you bring, want to bring in some young energy. He's a good guy to go with. Um, I don't think you go wrong with, that, with with either one of those. Offensively, you know everyone's talking about Kingsbury because Kirk Bowles down in the Austin American Statesman mentioned it. Um, I'm not sure that's realistic. He just got fired from Texas Tech, and he has and he was not in a situation like Fedora. 
Um, and so, you know, his team at least competed regularly. They just couldn't get over the hump of, you know, an average six, six win, seven win team. Uh, so if you're looking for offense, you know, if, if we could poach a Ryan day from Ohio state, um, you know, no one likes Matt Canada, but he's been successful wherever he's gone. I think with the exception of LSU, um, even though I guess, you know, there's some personality issues there. Um, but that could be a guy who comes in. Um, he's been, he's well-traveled, which can be good and bad. Um, I think though, if you go for, you know, I think on the offensive side, you have to go for a proven name defense. I think you have a little bit of, of wiggle room there, uh, but offense with all the talent that is coming back, you've got to go for a proven name from a proven program. Yeah. And I, and day and Bateman are the two that strike me as if you want to do the succession plan right out of the gate, those are two guys that you could possibly get as a head coach and waiting for two or three years down the road. Um, you know, Chiswick would obviously just be the familiarity hire, but you make a good point about him not being all in. And the previous uh, staff, he was basically splitting time between Chapel Hill and Auburn, quite frankly, because he had a son in high school. Um, that is no longer a factor. I mean, his son still exists, but he's not in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Right, right, right. Um, but, you know, basically the way I see it is you kind of have to have the one dynamic guy who could potentially be a head coach and then you have you know the steadying hand and I think you know a Kingsbury or a day along with Chiswick that would pair very nicely I think with Bateman if you can pair with a you know either an experienced offensive coordinator that has a set plan that will continue to run some variation of a modern offense that could work as well but you know this is all just kind of fluid and going back to just mending fences Guys like Tommy Thigpen, who played under Brown, I mean, I'm certain Thigpen's going to stay on staff. But, you know, I, I think I might have created this rumor to an extent of Dre Bly or Ronald Curry possibly being names. You know, both of those were guys who were recruited and uh, developed under Brown as well. But there's just a lot of guys with ties to him. Tim Brewster, an ace recruiter, was at Texas for a lot of their heyday. Um, there, there, There's just a lot of names out there to where – if I'm going to be sold on this, it's going to have to be just a home run staff. And I, I do think there are enough people out there to make it work. Um, Tanya, I guess I'll ask you, you know, Brown did fail a head coach in waiting situation with Will Muschamp one time. How would you feel about going that route before a game is even played, just based on not really knowing what's going to transpire on the field the next couple of years? I don't think... I don't think I would mind it just because I feel like it's going to be the question on every recruit's mind. Um, if you're looking at Mac Brown, you say like, okay, he's almost 68 years old. Like how long are you realistically going to be around? And I think somebody mentioned it in our Slack today that it was like, you know, that other coaches are going to kind of be whispering like, you don't even know if this guy's going to be around all four years of your college experience. So I think if they did go ahead and just kind of be like, look, here's the deal straight up. Um, it would prevent a lot of like whispers and speculation and general behind the scenes hand wringing. I know that you're kind of banking on that being a positive rather than a negative. And to some people, it's definitely going to be a negative. But I think 
that may be better than having sort of like the question marks flying around. Yeah, and, and, and Tanya, that's that's a really good point. And and to go off of that, look, whatever you this is gonna be this is terrible, but this is what happens. Whatever you go and tell those kids, if that's not what happens during their junior year, it doesn't matter. They're at the school. You've recruited them. And you can say, well, that's you know, that's not great. That's not how it should work, but that is how it works. And if Carolina can at least put forth a plan that they have every intention of following through with, if that's not what happens in three, four, five, six years then you've still gotten us through these three, four, five, or six years that we need or the North, the North, the North Carolina needs to, to stabilize and, and remain relevant. Um, and then once they're on campus, they're on campus. Um, because, you know, co- coaching is fluid, but we see it every single year. Coaches leave, coaches get fired, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I completely agree that while it, while it, may, not, it may not work out the way you think